0: Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die: A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on the show, we have the atheist who went to heaven. Her name is Nancy Rines and she's an author, scientist, and an artist living in Tacoma, Washington, here in the United States. She had a very transformative near-death experience just three years ago. She is the author of the book, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. As you'll hear, she is passionate about sharing this experience and the spiritual communications she has had since then. Her website is nancyrines.com, or you can simply go to we don't die com and click on episode 121 to see who it is we're talking about, talking to, and find out more about this wonderful woman. So, Nancy Rines, welcome to We Don't Die Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Sandra. I really appreciate it. It's so exciting to talk oh, to
0: really you. it's <laughs> exciting to talk to you too. I spent lots of time on your website, and I was reading your book, and I thought, oh, you're wonderful. Because, <laughs> like you and I talked just a couple of minutes before we recorded right. started recording, and you just said you're just a normal person. Uh, you just you, this happened to you, and and to hear from
1: you, it, it's just such a gift. I'm not yeah, I, I mean, I was raised on a little farm in the Midwest. You know, outside of Chicago, I was a farm girl, and I still—I think I still talk like a farm girl. Um, but then I went—I went to college, like pretty much everybody else does. And and I, you know, I was raised in a in a Christian family, a Catholic family. But you know, by about the time I went off to college, I kind of turned my back on all that, and and first became an agnostic, and then an atheist. So you know, a lot of us question things I think as we go into our 20s mm-hmm. and um an agnostic
0: you know, is just not sure right correct correct whereas and an then, atheist is I don't believe correct <laughs> okay <Just to laughs> sometimes
1: clarify. I was not sure sometimes I was like dad no nothing happens no nothing exists so you know for most of my life I would say I was an atheist with um kind of some agnostic leanings there in my late 30s <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, pretty much normal. Um, yeah, I, I, there wasn't anything really spectacular in any way about my life. I mean, it. I had a. I had a fine life. It was absolutely fine. I had a good career, you know, a beautiful daughter, um, divorced, unfortunately, like a lot of us end up with that kind of thing in our life. But, you know, by the time I was in my, I would say, mid-40s, so just a few years ago, I was feeling maybe i had you know maybe i had a midlife crisis or something i don't know <laughs> but i was feeling just really lost almost and dissatisfied not really happy not unhappy and with a horrible fear of death absolutely oh. horrible fear of death what yeah. was your job at the time you were you a scientist i was i was working at a kind of a science a science software company. So the company wrote software to support the natural sciences and um, analysis. So we did a lot of remote sensing work with satellite imagery and, um, you know, we did a lot of uh, help with mining companies and oil and gas companies and natural resources. So we did a lot of work with, you know, high level um, satellite type of stuff. So it was pretty intense technically. Mm. And I was doing a lot of writing and and writing training materials and doing some programming, some code samples, and teaching people how to use our 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 software and our programming language. Okay. So it was pretty pretty technical.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so back to your story, you developed yeah. a huge fear of dying.
1: Yeah, I was terrified because I thought that nothing. Ha- I mean, I thought it was it. That was it. Everything ceased. Not just the body, but the consciousness, too. And it was that part that terrified me Mm -hmm. Um, because I just couldn't imagine nothingness.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm with you. That's exactly how I got my start, too. I couldn't imagine no more Sandra, no more Nancy.
1: Yeah. Um, But I didn't see any real, for me, I was, you know, I had that science background and so, I didn't see any real hard evidence for anything else. Mm-hmm. So, I just became the skeptic like pretty much every other scientist becomes or even, well, a lot of people. You don't have to be a scientist to be a skeptic. but Exactly. Um, but I just, I didn't want to, I didn't actually, at some point, I think I didn't even want to look anymore because I was so sure that there was nothing.
0: <laughs> um, That's a tough way to live life, I know, and that uncertainty. It,
1: it is, you know, we have, we only have so many years, and to spend so many of my years angsting about death was really totally unproductive, mm-hmm. and uh, produced. So can you repeat anyway, that? I lost um, you for but just we, a second. It got Oh, for so a you just said it first. Yes, yeah, so we we only have a short time this planet and for me i spent so many of those years being anxious and fearful about um you know something which turns out not to be the case it was like all these wait those wasted time being anxious about death when i really didn't need to be yeah but
0: well now you're helping others not be anxious so
1: right i hope yeah. so you are i know you are so what then, <laughs> then what happened so um In January of 2014, so just um, almost three years ago, I was at the end of my Christmas break. I took a little bit of a vacation one Christmas. And I was living in... uh, 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 And, you know, winters in Colorado can be really beautiful, especially in January. And we had a beautiful stretch of weather. It was like in the 70s. So I went out for a bike ride on this Friday morning, and the, the temperature was Like 65 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, so it was pretty warm. And I went for this bike ride around town, and not even a half a mile from my home, uh, I was riding in the bike lane and going into a traffic circle or a roundabout in our our little town. and, And the bike lane sort of disappeared. It was really a dicey setup with this roundabout. It really was probably too too narrow for a bike lane so they just made it disappear Uh so I had nowhere to go other than in the middle of the lane which is really the safest thing to do for a bike bicyclist there was a car behind me he was back a few car lengths so he was a safe distance back and then there was I noticed some traffic coming into the circle from the right they looked like they were slowing down so I didn't really get too worried about them I did keep my eye on them and as I was going around the traffic circle, I kind of realized at the last second that the lead car that was coming in from the right wasn't going to stop. And she, she was driving a big uh, Chevy Tahoe, very large SUV, kind of the size of a pickup truck type yes. of thing. And uh, she w- turned out to be texting while she was driving. Oh, I didn't know that no. at the time. Right. Yeah. And doing a bunch of other illegal things that she shouldn't have been doing either. So anyway, she plowed into me, onto, into my right side, didn't even see me. Uh, and I ended up, I don't even know how this happened. I sort, sort of ended up on her hood of her car where the engine compartment is looking in at her through her windshield and she still didn't see me oh. because she was paying attention to her phone. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, anyway, she kept driving and I couldn't, I just couldn't hang on anymore up there on the top of her hood. And I ended up slipping down the front of her vehicle doing one of these like cartoon maneuvers trying to grab onto anything Mm -hmm. I could. And it turns out I slipped and hit the pavement and then she kind of ran over me. Luckily, I was in between her wheels, but then my sternum got caught on the transfer case on a piece of her vehicle underneath of her car underneath of her SUV so I was being dragged underneath of her truck or her SUV oh, and she no. had no idea I was there <laughs> oh my gosh she yeah she had not a clue that she had just hit somebody and uh so I'm caught underneath of her car underneath of her SUV Trying and actually, I reached up to hang under her axle because she was in a turn in the roundabout, and if I would have let go, or or if the transfer case had let go of me, I would have been run over by her rear wheels. Yes. So I was trying to hang on, and I didn't know what to do. It was kind of, it, it reminded me a little bit of that Indiana Jones move, move in the first movie where he's underneath the truck. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so when that happened, when I hit the ground and was kind of dragged under her SUV and and caught on the transfer case, I noticed something really weird happened. And I started seeing, I I experienced, I guess, what I call a dual consciousness state, where one part of my body, or I should say one part of my consciousness, moved out in front, outside of the entire accident scene and watch the whole thing happen from out in front and i could see the bystanders coming up trying to stop her from driving um i could see her driving i could see the whole thing happening from out in a different perspective wow and at the same time i was under the car basically fighting for my life now what was interesting in hindsight is those two parts of my consciousness were very, very different and the one that was outside watching the watcher me or the observer was very calm and very, Oh, I call her the very spiritual one. She was out there kind of with her hands crossed standing and looking and she said, this is really sad but this is happening all as it should be and everything will be okay. Wow. And then the part of me that was underneath the car was like, oh, my God, this isn't going to be okay. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm hurting down here. This is, I'm terrified. But the, the, two, the two parts of my consciousness were so distinct. And that watcher me, I, I believe, really was my higher self or my soul mm-hmm. that had started to leave. And then, you know, the human level consciousness was still operating, but at a very primal primal level underneath that truck
0: yeah survival
1: right right and so eventually somebody did was able to stop this woman from driving he drove his truck around and actually headed her off and stopped her from going anywhere thank goodness for him Mm -hmm. so when that woman stopped uh, I I tried to scramble out from underneath of her car or underneath her SUV and I did a little bit and then a woman kind of ran up from off to the side, and she was a beautiful blonde woman, and, and she said, no, 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 don't move, don't move, and she held her hands on my shoulders, and she said, I'm a trauma nurse, my name is Ann, and, and I don't want you to move, I'll be here with you, we're going to wait for the paramedics to come, but don't move, and she she basically, she may have actually saved my life, she certainly saved my ability to walk, wow. I didn't you know I didn't know it at the time, but. I had massive, massive spinal trauma, and uh, if I would have gotten up, I would have severed my spine probably in two or three different places. <laughs> oh my gosh! So she's an probably, angel. <laughs> she's yeah. Well, I've the chaplain in the hospital is pretty sure that's what what I experienced was an angelic intervention, and I'm um, you know yeah kind of weepy. Um, oh, of
0: course. This is this is major. Yeah, and I mean it, it was. She, she just, just happened to be there, right? Right, to be the one.
1: She just and, and the thing is too that afterward, she spoke to one of the um, police officers, and he was the only one else to see her. No one else reported having seen this woman, mm. and um, she would not give the officer her name. And then she just disappeared. I did talk to the officer about this, and he said, "Yeah, I have no idea what happened to her, where she came from, where she went to. She just was gone." So, I, I guess that may it may be certainly she was a human angel, if nothing else, for yeah, for sure. you know keeping me in one piece. Um, so that was incredible, and at the time I thought, "Huh." This is all very weird. <laughs> yes. And then I started concentrating on just, you know, living, on fighting to live. And when the paramedics came, that's when my two bits of my consciousness came back together in my body. And it took me off to the trauma center, which was, uh, you know, just about a half a mile away. So it was a pretty quick drive. And they found out that I had, let's see, I, the the It was at least 24 bones that were broken. Most of those bones were broken in several places.
0: Oh, my gosh, Nancy. Wow.
1: So they couldn't count the number of actual breaks. It was just too many. Um, But certainly 24 bones that were broken. And it was my pelvis, my sternum, um, five ribs on my left side, interestingly enough. And then my collarbone. Um, and then the rest of the bones were in my neck and, and lower back that were affected. And the one in my lower back would need surgery. It was shattered. There was nothing left of it. Mm-hmm. So without, without her, that woman's intervention, if I would have stood, there was nothing. I mean, my spine was basically shattered in one spot. I would have just collapsed. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was really crazy,
0: crazy and painful. I can't even imagine
1: it was living yeah. in that body. It was horrible, it was horrible i I personally didn't first of all, I didn't think I was gonna survive the weekend because I did have some head trauma, and they were really concerned about that, mm-hmm. uh, even though I had a helmet on um it broke the helmet apart. And uh, so it was good. The helmet took a lot of impact, but it still left me with some brain issues from brain trauma. Right. So they waited a couple of days to make. I think they were making sure that I was going to survive. They had told my niece that the brain the brain injury was actually quite severe, and it was it was mostly to my right, or excuse my my left prefrontal cortex. So. You know, that good spot that does all the analysis or Mm -hmm. that's responsible for most of your analysis skills. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. That was, there goes my job, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, I I just, I hung out in the ICU for the weekend flat on my back and they wouldn't let me move, obviously, because I was still in pieces. And I went in for surgery on Monday morning. Actually, excuse me, Monday afternoon is when I ended up going in because of delays. But I was really nervous about this whole surgery. And I've had surgeries before, and they were a piece of cake. You know, you go in, you get anesthetized, and then everything's gray. You wake up in the recovery room, what seems like two seconds later, and everything's fine. Um, So this time, though... They prepped me and, you know, gave me the anesthesia, which is the same anesthesia I've had before. And off I went, and I woke up thinking, oh, my God, where am I? Yeah. This <laughs> is what I remember from surgery. <laughs> no. I was standing on this beautiful meadow, like a hill, rolling hills, and up on a meadow in the top of this hill, looking out across many, many, many layers of hills and mountains in the distance, and I was, it was kind of misty and pearly, and there was just this beautiful um, sparkliness to it, uh, like, a, like everything had energy vibrating underneath of its surface. Cool. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is great. And then I realized, oh, wow. I'm not, I don't want to leave here because I was all of a sudden just surrounded and hit by this wave of pure love, pure, unconditional, welcoming love on a scale that you can't, I can't describe it. I can't imagine. Oh, man, it was all-encompassing peace and love and joy, really, that I was there. And I remember in my mind, I asked the question. Because I was starting to suspect that I was dead mm-hmm. at this point, and I asked the question in my mind: hmm, I wonder if I'm dead, and if I am, how how come I'm here? Because I don't believe in any of this stuff. Yes, and if anything, I expected to go to the to the fiery depths, which is what I was taught, you know, in in grade school because I was yeah, you know, I was gonna burn it in hell because I was an atheist. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no heaven so, for you. Exactly. Yep. And um so I asked that question, why am I here? I don't believe in you. And there was this resounding answer deep inside of me, who I guess would be the divine I call it the divine presence or the God or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. spirit. Said, um you're my child I'm welcoming you back home. This is where you belong. This is your home. Oh, and I just lost it. Sure. And I, I think I, it felt like I wept for days because I was accepted. And then, and then after I stopped crying, <laughs> mm-hmm. the I thought, well, this is great. I, I can die now. I don't want to leave here. And then a, a woman approached me kind of fading in out of the mist and she came up and she said I'm your teacher I'm going to be with you and teach you what you need to know in order to continue on and I thought oh good I get to die for real and I get to go see my dad and my sister and oh and I thought oh this is awesome she said no you're being prepared to go back oh (laughs) and I'm like oh my god I don't want to go back (laughs) And she said, it doesn't matter. Um, you're you're going to be going back. You had agreed to do this already before you were born into this life. And I said, I don't remember agreeing to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was shown this um, image of me. It was metaphorical, but kind of metaphorically signing a contract stating what I would do, that I would come here and And talk about this stuff to others, to have this experience and to talk about it with others. So I said, okay, well, we'll continue to go and we'll talk about this later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we spent what seemed like three months walking around every different piece of the landscape. And I figured out real quickly that a, this woman wasn't the ordinary person I would have expected she I could never really get a good look at her face. Um, she was very blurry in her face. She looked a little bit taller than me. She was glowing. She had this beautiful like silvery pearly glow to her. But there was a part of her that I just couldn't make I couldn't make out her face, but she said that we had known each other before. And that she was a longtime friend. I, I didn't know her from this life, but um, that she was going to help me learn what I needed to learn. And she taught me so many things, like the true nature of love as as the physical binding force of the universe. It's like the energy that the energy field that connects everything together is love. Um, is love, wow. and and it's divine love. It's not just you and you know yeah. human. Love love It's divine love on a cosmic scale. And it's a field, for, it's like a force, a field or like the, a gravitational field, but it goes through the entire universe. And she allowed me to see what it looked like from an energy perspective. It was like this uh, many-dimensional latticework of vibrating energy that was just, it was truly a field. Uh, it was amazing to see it. And what a gift coming, to going to
0: you learning this. Somebody who is scientific in background, right? So it's not like you. Oh, you were just drugged up, Nancy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it made sense because it was like a crystal lattice almost. Wow. Which I had studied back in in university. Um, it was, but it was, it was a lattice made of energy going everywhere. It's red some work by Rupert Sheldrake uh, who's a British um, biologist but he's he's totally not a skeptic he's actually put into scientific terms what I experienced which is amazing so he considers what I experienced to be divine the divine field he calls mm-hmm. it the I think the divine field but it's the the, the field of the universe the, the field of divine love yes. Yeah. So, there's a scientific bent to it, um, and I could, you know, go off and rattle on about that for weeks, but we'll talk about the rest of what I learned, because I think that's going to be more important for people. Okay. So, um, you know, she talked about how we can, in our own lives, participate in building up the love of the world by practicing and being a source of love in our own lives. Um, so the way she put it was, you know, one person likely won't change the world. But many, many, many people working on love and gratitude together can make a little change in their own world and then all those little changes will add up and connect up mm-hmm. and over time will be kind of a driving force for change in the world. and. That's really what this was all about. It wasn't about me having a nice life necessarily. That's part of it. But her end goal, and there, and I should say the divine end goal, is for more people to live a life of heaven on earth. Because we don't have to have, you know, all this drama and angst and hatred and violence. We can, and and we're being asked to basically step up our game mm-hmm. and be become, in our own individual ways, become a force for positive change in our own lives and that will slowly impact the lives of others around us. It's like a ripple on a pond, which is the metaphor she used when we did my life review. and. So if you, if you were the, if you were the source of the ripples on the pond, so if you make a change in your life, a positive change, whether you realize it or not, that energy of your change, both, I should say, your, your, the spiritual energy of that change will make its way out from you, but also, just your mindset being different will impact the people around you, Mm -hmm. because you're going to be different, right? Yeah, so if you're happier, you're going to spread the love. <laughs> yes.
0: Yep, so I get it. So,
1: yeah, their their goal for me, for me and many of us is really just to work on making our individual lives better so that we can then be a source of of love in the world. Um and it was profound. And I talk about I talk a lot about love in the book because it really for me Was the main message for my time there. Um, Other people might go and get a different message, but for me, it was really about how can we increase love and why that's important. Because when you, when you, when you increase love in your life or when you live in a more grateful place, or you live from a more compassionate place, it really strengthens the field of love around you. It's a truly, it it really affects the energy of divine love around you in a very positive way. It isn't just like woo-woo hokey thing. It's truly, it truly from a physics level almost affects the, the vibe around you, the energy of divine love. Yeah. And, and, She was so insistent that we practice this as much as we can, Um, practice kindness and compassion, even to people that we don't like, (laughs) that we don't agree with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You don't have to, you know, be in love with everybody or bring everybody into your home, but you can be nice to people and be compassionate. Um, and, And that's kind of the starting point. The other main thing that she talked about initially was gratitude and how gratitude really is just another form of love and when we're grateful not only for the people in our lives or when we're grateful to someone in our life here on earth but I'm also talking about being grateful to the divine or to spirit Mm -hmm. that also strengthens the field of love around us because it's just another form of love So anytime you can practice gratitude, and that's why, for me, gratitude has become a very important practice. It's humbling, but it's also an easy way for me to be loving.
0: Yeah. How do you practice gratitude or remember to? What is your...
1: Yeah, you know, at first it's tough.
0: <laughs> I know. said somebody, I've been talking for two years on the importance of gratitude. And do you think I practice it on a daily basis? No. <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm. You know, I started out by just in, in every evening before I went to bed, I had this little routine that I still do. And I think about three to five things or people that I was grateful for during my day. Hmm, good night. And so that's the that was kind of the starting thing. Then then that moved on to every time I would go on a walk, I would look for evidence of love around me. And then I would be grateful during my walk for every piece of evidence of love that I found. And then and then gratitude became kind of a an in the moment practice. So I snuck up on it gradually. I just started you know setting aside time at night and then I started doing it while I was on my walks. And then those times during my walks became in- moments throughout the day. Uh, and I've heard some people will say they set a timer or they look at the clock every hour and every hour they think of two or three things to be grateful for.
0: Wow. Great way to live life.
1: Yeah. And, and it over time it becomes less of a practice and more just natural oh that's and good think, yeah that's where it, kind of where i am now with it um, it's it's more in the moment for me and and i also i don't just say the words i work on feeling the feeling of gratitude in my body in my soul because that adds some punch to the words if you know what i mean i it's, do you got to feel it.
0: Yeah, I can say I'm grateful for my mom and that's just words. But when I take the time to imagine her face and I was sick last week and I was at her house, she was cooking for me every day and doing nice things. I mean, it's like that just brings over the feelings of, oh, I'm so grateful. I mean, really,
1: there's a big difference in words and feeling. Yeah, you're, you're allowing yourself to go into it and really, truly experience it.
0: And then what shows up is love. right feeling yeah
1: yeah so it all comes back together Um, and that's those two things are really important if that's all you can do that'll be an awesome start for people to really start to bring heaven's wisdom into their lives on earth Um, some of the other things that she wanted me to know and and really contemplate were the fact that we are truly all connected and not not just from the scientific perspective, like, you know, we're dependent on, uh, let's see, you know, water, clean water to, to drink or, you know, food to eat or the air to breathe. It's more than that. We truly are all connected on that divine love level, the divine spiritual level, because we are all connected back to di- the divine mm-hmm. spiritually. And... To each other spiritually, and uh, again in the in in kind of the science of quantum physics now. Well, this isn't actually anything new. There's a, a, an idea of called a quantum entangle- entanglement, which is where where two you could think of like photons, little tiny particles or little bits of energy are they could be connected across the universe and when something happens to one let's say here on earth if that particle here on earth is entangled with the particle 10 billion miles away that particle 10 billion miles away will react in the same way.
0: I've heard of that and that's freaky and awesome.
1: (laughs) Well there's an explanation for it it's that's those spiritual fields and that's part of how this all works. We are all connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jesus talked about this to some extent and, and many other spiritual teachers have. If I do something to you, it's really being done to me. Yeah. It's, we are all truly related. We're all brothers and sisters and and not just humans either. It's the animals, it's the plants, it's the planets, it's the whole cosmos. It isn't just, you know, it's not human centric. <laughs> right. So that's what else helpful. did you
0: learn? I'm, well I just know the name of your book is Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Yeah. Not that you have to hit all 12, but no, well, it's, all in it's, the empowerment of right. conversation today.
1: You know, another one that so many near-death experiencers will talk about is the importance of living, I call it living fully or living authentically. And what that means is really embracing the you that you are. That doesn't mean that you can't improve or you can't change, but it means learning how to come to self-acceptance and self-love and then just... Allowing yourself to be the glorious person you are. And if you look on my website, I have a lot of little um, inspirational messages with pictures behind them. And a lot of them have to do with living living the, the divine you that you are inside. Be- it's because basically you are given a set of skills and talents and passions and likes and dislikes for a reason and you're being asked or we're we're all being asked to examine what those are and just go out and do the best we can with living them because when we do that it's like we're singing a huge song of gratitude back to the divine for this life that we have
0: it's really powerful words nancy because i mean it it just filled me with goosebumps. It really, just resonated because <laughs> I think of every day, looking in the mirror. I'm not good enough. I overeat. Oh, I should not eat so much. Oh, I, you know, like how I look in pictures, and there's not any self acceptance or self love that's on right. a normal b- basis until I actually think about it. But just for every all of us, imagine a life. Where you accept yourself fully for who you are and who you're not, and you just love you and just know that you are one of a kind, and you came into this world to learn what you learn and to just embrace that, to in right. he- that yeah, to, to embrace the divinity that you are. I mean, you're one of a kind, or, right? You know, we all are. But to embrace yeah. that and live from that, as opposed to the feelings, oh, I should be this, I should be that. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not thin enough, you know, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and when you put those shoulds or I'm not enough on there, it really, you put yourself in a box. And it's really just a box that you put yourself in. Yep, uh, and and you don't need to put yourself in that box. You can you can walk outside of that box. You can jump out of it and start screaming for joy <laughs> once you finally make your way out of that self-imposed box. But it's hard, It's a hard transition yes. to get it because I was there. I right? just you know it, I had a lot of loathing for myself. Mm-hmm. And I came, look, you know, it's, I don't wish a near-death experience on anybody because they're very traumatic for your whole life. Yeah, It's, it's, uh, it's not something to be taken lightly. <laughs> right. But it did give me a lot of compassion for myself. And I, I talk about some ways that, you know, you can begin to accept yourself. And I wouldn't. I don't recommend that people go out and try to, you know, go all gung-ho with loving themselves right away. Start taking baby steps to even just self-acceptance or compassion or kindness to yourself. And one of the things that I teach people is in the morning, you know, it doesn't matter where, you know, take a break and go to the mirror and look in your eyes and try to see or try to imagine, even if you can't see it right now, try to imagine that you are a part of the divine. You have a spark. of the, And look in those eyes that, that, you know, don't try to avoid your eyes because some of us do that.
0: I know. I know. <laughs>
1: look, look, Look in your own eyes and just try to imagine that divine spark there. And then once you can start imagining it, start telling yourself, I love you you're an amazing gift you're part of the divine and keep going with that I had a I had a friend do this Uh, actually Amy the woman who edited my book she'd been a friend of mine for a while and she went to the mirror she's a very spiritual person so I'm surprised she even tried any of my exercises but she went to the mirror and she did that she said you know I just bawled. I cried my eyes out when I first did that exercise. And she said, I've been a spiritual person for years and still cried when I admitted to myself that I am a divine being, mm-hmm. that I have a divine spark inside of me. So it can be very powerful.
0: Yeah, I can feel the tears inside me even picturing doing that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and it could be hard, too. If it, If it gets too hard, I encourage people just to stop. And try again later, but um, it's it's a start. And and then you know a lot of folks who come to my workshops will say, you know, I was really abused as a kid, and I just can't imagine even liking myself. So if you're facing that, you know, I know a lot of people are. I really, really, and I really encourage you to get some. Um, psychotherapy and I know that sounds crazy and I'm not a psychotherapist but it can really help very quickly to get over that hump of of self-hatred that we might learn from a caregiver who was mean to us so and I know I came from a background similar to that so I understand what that struggles like mm-hmm. so and I did get I did go get some about I think it was five months of of help with that as an adult and it really helped it really helped get me over that hump
0: oh yeah help is out there and uh, mm-hmm. i don't know why we all think we can handle everything on our own <laughs> don't we, we don't have to we don't and even sometimes like even listening to this episode i mean just you get yourself what there's some saying nancy that the worst place to be on your own is like in your own head or listening right. to your own thoughts i don't i screwed up that statement but it it's tough it's a tough head we live in and just by hearing reading a book hearing somebody else's story going for some therapy whatever that is and to feel you're not alone you're not the first person in these shoes and to have somebody who cares for you to help you over you know that's awesome
1: yeah and and the help is out there and in fact you know if you're struggling with that and you really do want to go see a professional psychotherapist, but you're afraid of the money, there are many that will work with you for free or a reduced cost if you're truly in need, and and at the time that I got my psychotherapy, I actually was truly in financial need, and this woman was an angel and gave me six months of psychotherapy for free, basically. Wow.
0: Another angel in your Just,
1: life. Be, yeah, they're out there. They're out there. All you need yeah. to do is ask. And if if one person says, you know, I don't, I don't offer f- free services, but I know someone who does. You know, follow those leads because there probably is some help out there. Mm. So, anyway, um, that's kind of off topic. That's but, all right.
0: Time goes by fast. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're oh, talking forty five minutes. Oh my I man. know. So where where do we go next? Because is there any more of the life lessons you want to share or you want to share when you woke up? Or let me just ask you something. Did this experience feel real?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, that you're clear, like I know in my heart it is, but I just want to hear you say it, that it's yeah. it was more real than any dream or anything like that. <laughs>
1: Well the minute the minute that I kind of woke up on that hillside in heaven I knew that that was more real than any time I've ever spent here on earth. Oh my gosh, that real. Yeah, and and I knew instantly um that my time here was really but a dream. Yep. And that's how this felt. This felt like a very it was kind of a a, a dream really. It's it's real to us when we're in it, but once I was there in that, I, I, I'll call it heaven, but I don't know if that's the right word, but in, in heaven I realized that's more real, that felt more real, and it made much more sense to me than anything here. This is kind of nonsensical at times. <laughs> Indeed it is. Indeed it is. It's not an up, it, it's in that, in heaven it's so clear, so real, so rational, so logical but yet emotional and loving at the same time immediately i knew that was real and this was not immediately and and that's why it was so hard to come back here yeah even w- even with all the preparation my guide gave me all the teaching she gave me of and only a small part of that's in the book i've got probably four more books in me wow <laughs> just from that um That was so real that I didn't want to come back here to this dream. No.
0: I get it. I've heard that. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, but and that's why it was so hard to, when I woke up in in the recovery room, I was screaming and crying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want to be back here. Yeah, and to wake up in a painful body as well. I'm sure there was no aches and pains while you were in heaven.
1: No, that was the beautiful thing. I mean, I lost all all sense of that broken body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before I came back to my body, she did the the woman who was with me, whose name now I know is Mary, or that's what she says I can call her, but she said it's just a name. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary gave me a a spiritual healing so that when I came back, I wouldn't feel as much pain. And when I came back into my body, sure enough, I mean, I've had pain from the surgery site and from in my lower back where they, you know, put bolted titanium rods into my back. Oh. But my shoulder, my collarbone didn't hurt and my ribs never hurt, which is really crazy because <laughs> if you've ever broken a rib, those things hurt like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, My pelvis never hurt and my sternum never hurt and those were the areas that she worked on before she sent me back.
0: That's awesome.
1: So I had really no pain in those areas. I did have to deal with pain in my lower back but it wasn't wasn't really all that bad and the doctors were astounded at my recovery. It was so fast and so pain-free. I was off. I was off the opiates within two days after surgery. No kidding. Yeah. And I was on just Tylenol.
0: <laughs> yeah, something happened for sure. Yeah, you the doctors. Were- 24
1: bones. That's
0: what you said, 24?
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the doctors were astounded. In fact, one of them, he said, you shouldn't be up walking just on Tylenol. There's no way that you should be up walking on Tylenol. And I got up out of bed and I'm like, I'm walking, see? And so he couldn't believe it, but I hadn't, I hadn't told him what had happened <laughs> during surgery.
0: Um, oh, no. Well, Nancy, I want to ask you just because time's going by quick. Yeah. In the email you sent me, um, you said something about the spiritual communications you've had since your near-death experience. Can right. you talk
1: a little bit about that? What you mean? Sure. Yeah. So it never really, I never really shut it off. Uh, because I missed it so much, I I did for maybe two or three weeks after I came back, but I missed it so much that I wanted it to continue, and lo and behold, it continued, and it, it continued in a very odd way. I would have um, visions of my guide while I was in the hospital. I would just be laying there, kind of in a blissed-out gratitude-like state. And she'd come in, and we'd start talking again. And I didn't think too much of it, really. I just figured, well, this is just a part of the experience. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And that's really continued, and I've, I've worked on it since. I've learned how to increase that on my own, how to increase my capability um, to be available for that communication. So it, it can happen whenever I choose now and then it also comes through sometimes when i don't choose like when i need to hear a, me- a specific message from one of my many spiritual guides or you know the divine or one of the angelic beings um they they have no qualms now about sending me a message or t- telling me something
0: and you just hear them in your mind how does it show up for you
1: you yeah there or are annoying? ways that well for me it's oftentimes Um, unknowing but in the usually every evening I spend sounds crazy to a lot of people I know but I usually spend about an hour in a prayer like state asking or being receptive to this communication Mm -hmm. and typically one or more of these beings will show up in my room or wherever I happen to be and just start talking and then I write it down as fast as I can And and sometimes the information that comes through is just astounding. Uh, You know, like one of the reasons why I was chosen was because I was a scientist and I was an atheist and I can write about it in a way that other people can understand.
0: Yes, that's important. Really important.
1: Um, Another thing is that they, meaning... Uh, the the spiritual beings, you know, on the other side, whatever you want to call it, were they're really concerned that in another 60 to 100 years, we're going to be in deep doo-doo as far as a the species. their Their goal is they have this vision of the human race as being through all this garbage already. So the fighting, the violence, mm-hmm. you know, all this nastiness that we're going through. They have a vision for us being through it. They are recruiting people like me to, to be a source of this message of love, compassion, kindness. And little by little, they hope to influence the world to a better way of being, of we don't have to live like this. This is our choice as a species. They want the species of humans to evolve and they want all of us spiritually to evolve together with the planet in our culture. So they're kind of rooting for us and they want to give as much help as possible. And it's all about love. It's really truly all about God or the divine, whatever you want to call that Mm -hmm. presence in your life. And, it, and it's about loving each other, it's about giving into that love, it's about allowing God to work in your life. Um, it's not about letting, it's, you know, I've had some haters will contact me and say, well, you're getting off scot-free. I'm like, no, my life review is no picnic, and I was not get, given off, getting off scot-free. I was sent back here to love, to love like God loves, to love like Jesus loved or the Buddha loved or St. Francis. And that's, I, it's not getting off scot-free. <laughs> so you had, you did have a life review. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was um, pretty astounding. It wasn't bad. It wasn't scary, but it was certainly eye-opening. Could you give us an I- example of what you mean? Sure. So um, I went to, Basically I was brought to this pond and was shown images of all the people that I had impacted in my life both good and bad or positive and negative however you want to look at it and I was allowed to to touch the pond and realized that my action like touching the pond would would affect all those people whose images were kind of superimposed on the pond so it was a very strong visual of a you know your your actions affect more than just you. Your actions travel outward from you as ripples on a pond travel outward from that source. But then I was shown both good and bad from some of the things that I had done in my life, positive and negative, and we all have both, it's yeah. not like I'm a horrendous being or anything, it was just that I'd made some poor choices mm-hmm. in my younger years and I got to see the impact of those choices on other people from their perspectives. So, not from my perspective, but I got to see inside of their minds and hearts as to how I in- uh, impacted them, either positively or negatively. Wow. And holy cow, what an eye opener! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I became instantly more aware of my actions in every moment that I'm here on Earth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've interviewed enough people that have told a similar story on the Life Review. Mm -hmm. And there's some times that I might want to stretch the truth a little or lie or maybe not do the right thing. And I think, you know what, if I have to revisit this situation... And experience <laughs> and from the other person's point of view I might as well just have integrity be a big girl and say right. or do what I need to do
1: I don't exactly. always
0: do that because I am human um, but yeah I, I get it
1: yeah and it's it's it is about making good choices in the moment of being mindful of your choices in the moment and it's not meant to be the life review isn't meant to be this horrible terrifying frightening experience it's a growth opportunity. And for me, it was an opportunity to learn how my actions impacted others so that when I came back, I could be more conscious of what I was doing and saying. Yeah. So it was it was beautiful, but um, it's sometimes difficult to see how you negatively impact other people from within their own minds and hearts
0: (laughs) i would get i would believe that and to feel it but then also the positive so keep keep right exactly we're nearing the top of the hour here my friend all right Um, you reach inside there and any closing words or is there a piece of advice for all of us that we could maybe start doing right now I don't yeah. know. I I love the idea of like how you go in at night for an hour and receive messages. It's like, "Oh, I would love that."
1: <laughs> so whatever's well, there for you. Yeah, you can you can certainly do that. I would uh, if I were were to say something about that for people, open yourself up to guidance from spirit and just be open to it, but but also realize that the whole point of this is really living a beautiful life here on earth. It's not about you know, all this wonderful woo-woo stuff of, oh, I talked to my angels today. It's really about what can what do I need in order to live responsibly and beautifully here on earth right now.
0: Mm, great words. Great words. I find myself, I can get really caught up in the life after death stuff and I have to remind myself that the reason I'm talking about that is so I can have a better life now and I can, same thing, make better choices right. and and all that. Like how it, yeah. yeah,
1: and And have fun, too. It's not all about, you know, being pious and spiritual all the time. It's about laughing with your kids and having fun with your families and friends and just enjoying who you are in the moment. And also, you know, teaching your kids good things and good habits and being a source of love. So mm. it doesn't have to be all... You don't have to be a mon- in a monastery somewhere to be spiritual. You can be spiritual while you're walking on the beach with your kids, you know, looking for shells or something. Or mowing the grass or at your right. work.
0: <laughs> so Nancy, how do we get in touch with you? And maybe you could mention, because um, I saw, obviously, you have
1: your book, Awakenings from the Light, but you offer coaching too, don't you? I do offer some spiritual coaching. If you want to learn how to do some of the spiritual communication, I can work with people one-on-one. I'm also going to be teaching a class in uh, San Francisco Bay Area in almost about another month, so on November 5th, on spiritual communication. It's a full-day Uh, workshop and that's
0: 2016 because you know somebody can listen to this 10 years in the future right yeah
1: so that's november 5th 2016 in corte madera california cool but i'm also going to be in this you'll have to watch for my website so if you go to my website Com, that's n-a-n-c-y r-y-n-e-s.com you can sign up to receive updates and i've got plans coming up i've got Uh, some online training classes that are just about ready to release. So those will be coming out soon. I'm going to be doing some webinars on spiritual communication so you can hop on and, and join in the fun there and learn how to do this stuff. But I do coach people on how to get in touch with your guides and your angels and whoever else you would like from a safe perspective and a predictable perspective. I also teach contemplative prayer which is a meditative practice that i personally use to get in touch with my spiritual guidance system Hmm. so it's not meditation it's it's a different it's slightly different um it's easier for me it's easier for some people who can't do traditional meditation can you just
0: speak for a a minute just like because i can't even begin to imagine what contemplative if i'm saying it right prayer is
1: Contemplative prayer. Yeah. So it's a it's a technique that was developed actually in the very very early days of Christianity back in the Middle East, but it was adopted from India. So it's it's typically done. It's been done in India for probably five thousand years. But what but what it is is you take a word um, like let's say God or love. You take a sacred word. And you repeat that to yourself internally and allow your mind to just flow into that word and to just sit with that word and be with that word for 10 to 20 minutes a day. And and that's, it allows people who who have difficulty meditating to have a focal point of their meditation. Okay, I gotcha. And it's a good focal point because it's not just a word to focus on, it's also it puts you directly in touch with the divine if you choose the right word, and I, I like to use the word love or spirit or God, but when you're sitting with this word for 20 minutes and letting it rattle around in your mind and soul, you get to really know it, and you start to feel into it. I can't explain it other than it becomes you. You start to feel at one with the divine once you practice this. Wow. And it Cool. It it raises your vibrational level, so it makes it easier to communicate with your spiritual uh, team, like your guides or, or angels.
0: Well, I can even see, just for myself, somebody who doesn't feel a lot of self-love, it, meditating, and contemplating the word love, you're bound to feel it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's oh, powerful. It's
0: real powerful. Real yeah. powerful. Oh, Nancy, thank you so much for being
1: here today. Thank you so much for having me on. Sandra. This was really awesome, it. and
0: <laughs> and you're just regular, and that's what I like. Not that everybody else isn't regular, but some people have are just different and you're just regular (laughs) i'm gonna leave it at that okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and for our listener too thank you for being with us this hour i do hope it's made a difference i know it has for me and that's why i continue to share i i'm i'm right on the court too i look for these episodes to help me in my life and and obviously i want to share that and So even Nancy feels good about it. We all feel Mm -hmm. good. And that raises our vibration and that can raise our connection and and our love and all good things can come from it, so as a reminder, you can go to we don't radio dot com this is episode one two one one hundred and twenty one with the fantastic Nancy Rines and I have her picture and also the links to her website and her book and uh how you can sign up for her mailing list and all that right then and there and I do remind you if this has made a difference in your life have the courage and press the share button however you listen to this because you just never know who will really help in their life, okay? I have gotten numerous um emails from people that they have not committed suicide because of listening to one of these shows and that's a big deal and it took somebody sharing it with them and you just never know who who needs it so if you want, share. And in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain and I have been your host on We Don't Die Radio and I too believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.